Hi, my name is Pete Cazero. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So great to be with you. So today, the title of our podcast is Preparing for the End of the World. Out of Mark 13, I'm going to be sharing a sermon message I gave about this incredibly important text when Jesus talks about the end of history as we know it and what our response should be as we're walking through it. So it's an incredibly important truth, especially in these turbulent times in which we live. In fact, Jesus tells us in advance the kind of upheavals and events that we can expect, the kind of birth pangs that will accompany the end of history. And it talks about the great instability that we can expect externally and internally, inside the church and outside the church. And We're seeing pieces of that uh, right here in our own midst around the world. But as Jesus assures us, this is very much a part of God's plan. And so Jesus is going to, you're going to see, Jesus gives us two very clear words uh, in this text. And so it's like we are on the Mount of Olives with James and John and Peter and Andrew opposite, as they're looking at the great temple in Jerusalem, one of the great wonders of the world at that time. And Jesus there is sharing to them about the end of history and how they need to be walking through it. So it's funny, I've been reading a book uh, called The Storm Before the Calm, and it's really a book about United States history, and this author is trying to give a bit of perspective on the uh, storm uh, that's happening, at least in the United States here, in the last five, 10 years, and basically giving a perspective over uh, our 200 plus year history about that these storms come, uh, they've got four or five big ones, and that there's a great calm that generally follows it. It's a theory that he has. It's very interesting. What's so different about this is this is Jesus and his word. It's true. And we can take his word to the bank, as they say. Uh, Jesus said, "He heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So enjoy this exposition and message from scripture out of Mark 13, wherever you find yourself today. And I pray that you will allow Jesus to breathe into you his peace, his perspective, his calm, his purpose, uh, and build you into faith and vision for your life and for your future. So enjoy. Theme tonight is, is making room for the end. This great, great uh, message of Jesus from Mark 13. So This is 37 verses in this chapter, but I'm going to read to you just two sections, verses 23 to 27, and then verses 32 to 37. So go down to verse 23 of Mark 13. I'm going to start there, and we're going to read to verse 27. That says the Lord, Mark 13, verse 23. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, underline the word distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And down to verse 32. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven. Be on, but only, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33. Be on guard, be alert. 
You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of that house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Underline that word, sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Amen. Now, like you, I can handle almost anything as long as I, as long as I know the ending is going to be okay. So, for example, I love certain sports teams. I can watch a game, a rerun of a game, knowing my team won. It's very satisfying. I can sit in the couch and relax and enjoy myself because I know the ending. Uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, I loved the New York Knicks. And uh, I remember uh, the 1969-1970 season. Because that was my dream as a little kid was they were going to win the NBA basketball championship of the world. And the problem was there was 82 games they had to get through. And then after the 82 games, they had to win, you know, become a first place. And then they had three division playoff sections, you know, best of seven, best of five, and best of seven for the world championship. And so um, I was, you know, I was consumed as a little kid, you know, because I wanted the end to be that they won. But who knew? And so I'd watch during the year, you know, and, and people would miss shots, folks would get injured, they'd throw games away, and I, I would have, I wouldn't sleep at nights, you know, I'd throw things at the television when they'd miss shots, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd, have a, I'd have, you know, tremendous knots into my stomach, I'd be miserable for days when they lost a, an, a very important series, and, and but they did, they did win, they won at that four or five month process, they came in first place, they went to the playoffs, and they won the best of seven, and the best of five, and they got to the NBA Finals, and uh you know, every day, understand, I'm, I'm reading the newspapers. I'm studying the player statistics. I'm, I'm, I'm studying about their practices and who's fighting with who and who's getting along with the coach and all that. I'm, I'm just, because I'm fixed. and They, they got to win this thing. And, and uh, my, my, my world rose and fell on the Knicks, winning at the end. And uh, so it, it came down to this seventh game, and their best player, a guy, some of you older folks may know, a guy named Willis Reed, he got hurt and he was out. And I was like, I mean, I didn't sleep the whole night before the championship game. I said, this is a disaster. The best player is not going to play. And, um, and make a long story short, they gave him some kind of, who knows, some kind of steroids, who knows. I mean, he came out the last few minutes of the last game. He hit the winning shots, and they won. But I remember saying to myself, I had so many ulcers as a small kid, you know, over that game. So much anxiety. So many, I mean, I was like, good. That wasn't worth it, you know. But if somebody just told me, Pete, let me, when the season began, Pete, listen, don't get upset. Don't get worried and don't be anxious because you know what? And don't think about quitting as a fan because I'm telling you, the Knicks are going to win. The end is certain they're going to be the world champs. It would have been a whole different four to five months for me. I wouldn't have been shaken up by things. And, uh, but no one told me that. But what's happening here in this passage is Jesus is basically saying to all of us, don't sweat the pain. Don't worry about the difficulties and, 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 and things going poorly because I'm telling you the end now. We win. I win. I come back. I wrap up all of history. It's going to be a glorious ending. And you can count on it. You can bank on it. So let nothing that you go through here on earth shake you. And that's really what this is about. Jesus is saying the ending is going to be okay. In fact, he says, no, the ending is going to be fabulous. And that's what this whole chapter is about. And, uh, and so Jesus says, I've told you everything ahead of time. In verse 23. He's telling us, ahead of time, I am letting you know what's going to happen. Everything you need to know, I'm letting you know. So you're not going to be like everybody else, shaken by this thing. 
You are going to know. And uh, he begins to unpack it. So, so this message tonight is really a grown-up message. This is a message for the mature. This is not, you know, we have Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. Okay, this is not Christianity light. <laughs> Jesus is shooting it straight. I am telling you everything ahead of time. He's, he's laying it out here in this text. And just as it is. And so, um, it's actually the longest teaching in the Gospel of Mark. And it's extremely important. He's about to go to the cross. He's letting them know what's going to come. And uh, because he's concerned for us looking at history, and he's, he's, he's pastorally concerned uh, for those of us sitting here tonight. And so, as he goes through these, this chapter, and it's a long chapter, he, he's, he's describing events that are to come. Now, he's speaking in about 32 AD, and he's looking ahead to, to a, a short-term event that's going to happen in the next 40 years in Jerusalem, and that is the fall of the Temple of Jerusalem. In fact, the, chapter 13 begins, the disciples looking, it says, they're looking at the temple, and they're saying, wow, what a temple. Jesus, look at these stones, they're magnificent, these buildings. And then Jesus begins to tell them about, oh yeah, well, by the way, you know, the whole Jerusalem is going to be flattened, and this temple is going to be crushed. And he begins to talk about the fall of Jerusalem, which they couldn't even imagine. Because you understand, Jerusalem, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was so big, it took up one-sixth of the, of the city. In fact, it took them 46 years to build it. This was the eighth wonder of the world in that time. And so this was a magnificent architectural reality, the temple. And the thought of this temple being wiped out was inconceivable for disciples. Jesus saying, I want you to know something. I'm telling you ahead of time, this thing is going to be destroyed. There won't be one stone left standing. And literally it did happen in 70 AD. But he doesn't just talk about the fall of Jerusalem in this chapter. He also moves further out and he talks about the end of history. And so the reason some folks have challenging reading this chapter, because he's going back and forth about the fall of Jerusalem, that's going to happen shortly thereafter, and about the end of history in which we find ourselves in today. Now I'm going to focus on the end of history, because that's where we are, and all the applications for us, but because, because, um, that's where it is. So, so here's where he begins. In, in verse 5 and he begins to talk about the end. And he wants us to know everything ahead of time that we need to know at least. And here's what he says. In history, there's going to be an increase of some activities as we get closer and closer to the end. In verse 5, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I'm he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, he writes, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is not is still to come. And he goes, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes on various places. There will be famines. But these, he says, are the beginning of birth pangs. And so he begins by talking about everything outside of us is going to begin to crumble. Increasingly as time goes on. Now we know there's been wars all through human history. And uh, we hear a lot about wars and, and rumors of wars and all the noise that goes with it. And, 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 and wars always strike terror. You know, in, in the hearts of people, because it's such a, such a horrific thing. And uh, in every era of human history, there's been earthquakes and, and famines. And, uh, and again, and rumors of wars. And Jesus says, that's going to just keep increasing as time goes on. And so he says, don't be surprised. In fact, there's going to be false messiahs and false prophets. People go running, and people will get deceived and chase after these people looking for some stability. But you don't worry about a thing. But outwardly, things are going to crumble and be shaken around you. Now, just think for a minute. If you remember, if you were living in New York City on 9-11, you remember what it felt like that day and those few weeks around that day. The, the shaking that something had come right into our city. I mean, 
the World Trade Center. I mean, the financial center of the world. Then the Pentagon. And then the, uh, you know, the plane crashing in Pennsylvania. This great sense of we were under attack. And all the foundations of our security and safety were just shaken. And it was, it was, it was incredibly tenuous. And remember when that plane crashed in Rockaway, which was celebrated yesterday? And uh, it happened like about two months later. And if you remember living in Queens, we were like, it, was, it had a huge impact on us in Queens because it was like another 250 plus people died. And it was like, did that get shot down too? There was such a sense of the shakiness of what was going on around us. And I think we had, we had a taste of that. And what Jesus is saying is that, because it was a sense we can't hold on. You, can't, you couldn't get a grit. And everybody, we would have paid anything for security, right? We'll go to war against everybody. But somehow we want, we want to stop the shaking. And Jesus is saying, I want to tell you something. As you get closer to the end of history, the shaking is going to increase. There's going to be less stability externally. Less sense of safety externally. And he goes, but don't you be alarmed. I'm telling you these things ahead of times. And in fact, he says, these are the beginning of birth pangs. Think of a woman giving birth. He says, they're contractions. Okay, they're painful contractions because something new is coming forth. Out of the agony of history, God's birthing something. But he goes, I want you to know what's going on so you're not shaking like everybody else. Just think of World War II. I mean, few of us were alive during World War II. But could you imagine the world at war? That one war, 50 to 70 million people were killed. One war in a six-year period. I mean, it's unfathomable, isn't it? Talk about a shaking. And again, depending on where you live in parts of the world, they know shaking, whether it's in Uganda, northern Uganda, with you know, the, these armies, you know, fighting children, armies and all that. And, but Jesus says in verse 7, these things must happen. They must happen. In other words, God, these are part of God's end plan and they're divinely orchestrated. They're contraction. And so I'm telling you ahead of time, they're birthing something new. Birthing something fabulous. And so don't get shaken because the, into the apparent confusion out there is God in complete authority restraining things. It may look like it's out of control, but it is not. God has his hand on it. And he's restraining things and he's working this out, you know, for good. So you've got this external crumbling outside that's going to go on and it's going to increase. And some of you right now, some of your lives are crumbling right now. He goes, don't worry, it's going to increase. But then he goes, even more troubling than that is the inside is going to crumble. And he talks throughout this chapter 37 about great deception and a great falling away that's going to take place inside the church. And he says, watch out that no one deceives you. And no one pulls you away. You know, and, and gets you to lead it straight because uh, the church is going to get hit full time. And uh, the church will always have end time false teachers floating around. False teachers have been around since, since day one. In the times of Jesus, there were other messiahs claiming to be the messiah and leading segments of the Jewish population away. And Jesus says, at the end of time, it's going to be in worse. There's going to be more false teaching floating on than ever because people are going to look for stability and somebody who knows all the answers, they're going to flock to these people. And he goes, but don't you be deceived. And he says, but what's going to happen is, in verse 13, he says a great statement. He goes, there's going to be a worldwide persecution against the church. He goes, all will hate you because of me. He goes, not just a few nations, not just a few segments of the population, but... but there will be a worldwide, again, coming against the church on such a level that people are going to start leaving the church. They're going to start falling away. 
And because the church is going to be so hated, people are going to begin to drop out. And, uh, and so, as one scholar said, wrote, those who are just hanging on to the church right now, there's a, there's a word in English, for those of you who are non-English speakers, I had to look it up to make sure it was a word. He used the word hanger-oners. Folks who kind of hang on, they're, they're in the church, but they're hanging on. They don't really have a deep personal relationship with Jesus, a deep devotion to him, a deep communion with him, but they're enjoying him, Jesus, they're benefiting, you know, their lives are better, this is cool. He says, though, the people who are just hanging on, they're going to all leave. Because the price is going to be too high. And there's no longer going to be a lot of gain by being part of the church any longer. It's going to be a lot of loss. In fact, Matthew says it this way. At that time, many, Jesus in the same speech, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. In other words, even from inside the church, people are going to see hypocrisies, things are going to happen, and folks from within the church are going to begin to betray the church and hate it. And he goes, and because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end, you know, will be saved. And so you've got this, this, this many who seemed to be part of the community are going to be seduced and be pulled away. And the world's hatred will, will, will do this. And this worldwide loss of popularity. Now, I don't know about you, even just talking about this, and I've been you know, in this text now for a while. Um, it's intense because not only will the world be against the church, basically large portions of the church who left the church will be against the church. And what is despicable inside the church is going to be exposed for what it is. And all of a sudden it's going to be, people are going to say things like, let me get out of this lie called the church. Some of you don't like the church already. I don't like hypocrisy. I'm out of here. Well, here you go. Oh my gosh. You ain't seen nothing yet. And Jesus says in verse 22, many false prophets at the time and, and false Christ will appear and deceive the elect if it were even possible. That's how intense it's going to be. He goes, if God had not shortened that days, nobody would have made it. So, so there's going to be this kind of false church or, that's going to be growing in the end of time. And uh, now I don't know about you, but, but it talks about like there's going to be a lot of loss and, and that those who are devoted to Jesus and who stick with him are going to suffer losses. In fact, a lot of losses. Now, and because no one likes to be part of a losing team, they're going to, we're going to get out. A lot of us are going to say, I'm out of here. I don't need this. Now, have you ever been part of a losing team? I have. I've been part of, I've been, I've been part of a number of losing teams. But I went to a high school because they had a great basketball team. I love basketball. So I was going to play varsity basketball. So I, went, I chose this school because I, I, I wanted to be on a championship winning team. It just happened when I finally got to varsity, all the seniors had graduated. And so our team was terrible. And uh, we didn't have one person over six foot two, and we got crushed in every game. And uh, so I was on a losing team. And I remember, you know, uh, playing this one team, for example, where, where they had a, a, a guy in the team who was going to go from high school to the NBA. He was like six foot 11. And we, we got out of the locker room. They got out of the locker room. He came in and started dunking. And we were already, we lost already. It was, the game was over. We were so intimidated, you know. And, and that's what the whole season was like. I remember trying to get my mother to come to the game. My mother saying, why would I go to the game? All you do is lose. I, I, mean, I remember begging my friends. We were ready to pay people to sit in the stands because nobody wanted to be part of a losing team. They didn't even want to watch us. It was so humiliating. Well, that's basically what Jesus is saying here. At the end of time, it's going to be like, to be part of the church, it's going to be part of like a losing team. And so if you don't have, he's saying, folks who are not, deeply connected relationally to me are getting out. They're going to leave 
Because they're just hanging on for different reasons. And all the good reasons to hang on for personal gain are going to be gone. To hang on, you're going to, it's going to start costing people a lot. And, um, and so he uses the, the, the phrase here in verse 24. He says, but in those days following the distress. He uses this word, whenever Jesus talks about the end times, the end of history, he talks about something called pressure. He calls it, this, the word is translated distress here. Because of, of the distress because of the intense pressure or crushing pressure. So if you feel pressure now, he wants you to know that as history unfolds, we get closer to the end, that pressure is going to increase. But he goes, and, and because I, I want, uh, you know, it's so interesting, just pause for a second. When I first became a Christian, you know what everybody told me? They said to me, don't worry, Pete, about any kind of suffering or tribulation because before suffering comes, Jesus is going to be kind of like Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. We're all getting out of here. The only people who are going to suffer are those who didn't accept Jesus. They're going to suffer. But I want you to know something. That's a very American Christianity. You know, it's just not in the Bible, all right? It's just not, I mean, it's not here. It's not what he says in this text at all. We're going to walk through this thing, okay? This kind of a intense pressure cooker. This against tribulation or persecutions and falling away. This outside's going to crumble, and then the inside's going to crumble. Now, I hope right now, just even listening to me, it's a little bit like, like you're saying to yourself, whoa. Like, whoa, like, like, am I going to make it through this thing? <laughs> Absolutely, you're right. If not for the grace of God, none of us would make it. But it's going to be that kind of a pulling out of what's left here. And, because, um, you know, American Christianity is a unique phenomenon. You know, I mean, we, we, li- we like convenience. We like comfort. I mean, we don't even like looking for a parking space. I mean, we're like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of this Jesus thing. I got to look for parking 15 minutes. What is this? You know, and, and we, we, we want to live in gated communities. We want to make a lot of money so we don't suffer at all. And some of you came from other countries to America. You came to America for an American dream. You didn't come for contractions and birth pangs. You didn't come here for shaking on the outside and shaking on the inside. You came for a great life. But Jesus says, I want you to know something. There is no, there is no country exempt from the American dream. Exempt from this. There is no American dream. There, this is the end. This is what is heading for and he goes i'm telling you ahead of time i don't want you surprised by this at all and uh and so here's two words i believe jesus has for us today okay they're two simple words and uh the first is simply this he says everybody i want you to be calm i have told you everything ahead of time so you're not surprised i've told you everything you need to come in fact you need to know we are to be the calmest people on the face of the earth I'll say it again. You and I are to be the calmest people on the face of the earth. In your neighborhood, at your workplace, in schools. Because we know what's happening. Every time we read a horrific event in the newspaper, we say, oh, another contraction. We're getting closer to the end. Because he's told us. And so we're not surprised. We understand this is part of history. And and so there's a call to an emotional stability for us. And we're not overwhelmed by the world's agonies of what's going on out there. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm telling you, you know, ahead of time. Uh, these birth pangs are midwifing us into eternity. And it's going to get worse, he says, before it's going to get better. But he goes, I tell you this, says Jesus, it is going to get better. And in verse 26, he says, listen, I want you to know something. That after this distress, after this intense pressure, in a moment, the whole thing is going to be turned around. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. 
and at the time, the Son of Man, I will come through the clouds. I will crack the clouds. And, uh, and I'm going to come dramatically, cosmically, and super clear. The whole world's going to see me in a moment. And uh, it's going to be finished. I like as, as some of the you know, great Puritans used to say, when we see Jesus, his first embrace in that moment will undo a hundred thousand lives of hurt and loneliness. And that when we see him face to face, his first kiss will make the worst life ever lived seem like a bad night's sleep. And Jesus says, don't you worry as things get worse, because it is preparing for the greatest, most glorious moment of history when I return. And, uh, and so we have only one thing in front of us as believers, and that is a wedding feast with Jesus that is to come. We look forward to seeing him face to face. And we, as followers of Christ, will experience the presence of God in its full intensity. We will see him face to face. We, we, we will have, we have inklings of his presence. We enjoy him in worship and the word. You will see his face and he will look directly into your face. And, and, you know, now we know in part, then we shall know fully. In other words, we're going to have a full, a much fuller understanding. And we're going to say, as C.S. Lewis says, oh, that's what was going on. We'll see the big picture. Oh, that's why Susie dropped, you know, broke up with me in third grade. You know, oh, that's why I didn't get that job. Oh, that's why I flunked that math exam and didn't get into that college. You know, like, what, what happened? No, God said, I, I, I was in full control. And we'll see the larger plan of God with much greater clarity. In fact, think of the greatest happiness you've had in life, your greatest joys. Well, multiply that about a hundred billion times. And that's the start of what it will be when you see Jesus face to face, when that day comes at the end of these contractions. And, and, and then you think of just living with God is going to be living in an ocean of love. And think of all the tensions and relationships that we have with people, you know, and wars and misunderstandings and betrayals. All that's going to end. We no more crying, no more tears, no more fall, no more curse. And, and you, will, you will love everybody perfectly and everybody will love you perfectly all at the same time in eternity. And, and so what Jesus is saying here is that, that, you know, like Einstein once asked the question, he said, the most important question for any person is, is the world friendly? And what Jesus is saying is, yes. There's contractions going on. There's birth pangs going on. But God is on the throne and he loves you. And he's weaving it all together for a tremendous birthing of something new and his return. When Rome fell uh, in the early 400s, the Rome had been the world empire for almost a thousand years. And for many people at that time, they thought it was the end of the world. Like for the Roman empire to fall. And Augustine, he did not see the fall of Rome as a disaster. Uh, at all, because he did not see that the Roman Empire was anything holy. He said, that's not the city of God. The city of God is something eternal. It crosses through empires and, and countries. And um, he said, there are no victories or defeats that really matter on this earth. The only thing that counts is the final victory of the end. That's the only thing that counts. And that is certain. So we come, we know the end. It's certain. Jesus is going to come. He's going to shake the earth. He's going to return and, and, and crack the skies. And so we're invited to calm this. And, and so I want to picture it with this little photo behind me. And, uh, you know, imagine a peaceful river. And you're on it. And, and you're in that canoe. And it's running through the countryside. And, 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 and see, when you're in the water, now, now that, that water is like the river of, of floating on the love of God. You're, you're in the center. Now, on the side is chaos and turmoil and wars and rumors of wars and famines and great fallings away and, and, and people quitting Christ and all this stuff going on. But when you're in the river of the love of God and when you're centered on Christ, you're clear, we're content, about, we know, we have an understanding of ourselves, of other people, of life. 
and uh, we're good. But what happens is very often we drift and we get uncentered and we go to the, maybe we go to the, you know, we go to the right in the chaos and we begin to, 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 to feel out of control because the world's out of control. We start trying to fix everything. Or maybe we, we go to the left and we end up in, in rigidity. Rigidity is another reaction to when things are out there crazy and all of a sudden we get very rigid, you know, and we got to get, we get super controlling about life. You know, I'm going to wake up at 732. I'm going to catch the 748 train. I'm going to sit in the third seat, you know, to the left. You know, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to put my pencil over here. I'm going to put my coffee over here. And, but we try to control everything in life because there's so much chaos out there. We can't adapt to it. And in our panic, we get very rigid. Some of us are very rigid. Others of us are just chaotic and out of control. And, and, and so the invitation of Jesus here is I'm telling you these things ahead of time. I'm letting you know so you're not surprised. All right. I'm inviting you to be calm. The calmest people on the face of the earth because you know who is running this universe and these things must happen. And I've got everything in complete control. Relax. A lot of work has been done on the neurosciences in the brain over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And about, you know, we have these brains and, and when all the parts have to be integrated so that we're not just being emotionally hijacked or being reactive or, 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 or imploding, which very often we do because we get panicky. She said, and, and, and about, and they talk about neuroscience is how we can rewire our brain. And, and I realize I've been reading a lot about this over the years. I'm realizing, oh yeah, what Jesus is doing here is he's rewiring our brains. He's trying to get us to stop and think and not be just emotionally flying off the handle. So we can calm down, think things through, think through long-term what's happening and not let our emotions run us and get us off the center of that river of the love of God. And so that's when Jesus says, you know, if he comes suddenly in verse 36, he says, don't let him find you sleeping. It's very easy to fall asleep. And, and, and the great image of the Christian life is, is sleeping means you're not even aware of what's going on around you. Like you're not, you're not connected to Jesus and, and centered. That's why it's so critical that we're cultivating a life of our own spirituality with Jesus and not living off other people's spirituality. And that all of our lives has this rhythm to it where we're in everyday life, whether it's at work or at school or with family, we're always looking for his presence. We're awake. We're, into, we're not compartmentalizing. Here's God on Sundays and the rest of the week. Many of us, we're awake with Jesus right now. Then we fall asleep. We don't think about him for three days. I wake up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Read my Bible. And we fall asleep again. And we, and we sleepwalk. And we go through. And we're not even thinking about the end. We're not thinking about anything. We're just consumed. I mean... Sadly, some of us probably in this room don't even have not even seen God in the beauty of autumn. I mean, autumn is an incredible season. The leaves are magnificent. They display something of the love of God, the, the, the beauty of God. But some of us are so busy. We have so much on our mind. We are so distracted. We haven't even seen the leaves change. And they're just a little expression of the love of God for us. You know, a little gift, you know, of beauty. And, uh, but but we're, we're, we're sleepwalking. And, and Jesus is saying here, a foundation of, of living spiritually is being awake. We're just, we're alive in the present moment. And, and it keeps us, things don't, don't shake us. And, and, and so Jesus says, I'm telling you everything ahead of time. Be calm. Stay connected, deeply connected. And then he gives a second instruction. He goes, not just be calm, be doing your assigned task. And he's got this verse here in verse 34. He tells a story about a, a, a master who goes away and leaves his servant in charge of his house. And he says, each of his servants in charge, each with his assigned task. It's interesting, that's how he ends this passage. What it looks like to, to be awake and be alive. Now, God has something for you, each one of us in this room. 
But he has something for each one of us, all of us at the same time. And I realized I forgot to say it this morning. It was so important. And that's this. The first assigned task for every one of us in this room is to seek his face. Regardless of your profession in life, your first assigned task is to abide in him, to walk with Jesus, to cultivate a life with him. That is no small task. It's Psalm 27, verse 4 of David. He goes, I'm king of the whole nation. But he goes, but one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon his beauty and to seek his face. So that, that's our first assigned task, every one of us. It's, it's him. And that is no, that's not easy when the whole world's being shaken around us. But if you'll do that, let me tell you something. You know, I was in some crazy churches in the beginning of my Christian life. Pastors doing nutty things. And I mean, I saw some, I think about, I look back at my early Christian days, I saw some nutty things going on. But I, you know the funny thing about it? It didn't even shake me. And I realized it didn't shake me because I was so, God had so saved me. I was so engrossed in Jesus. It just didn't affect me. I mean, I was just okay. And I realized that's what he's calling us to, that we're so engrossed and so connected to him. And we're so looking forward to seeing his face. Things being shaken around us, they don't affect us. We're like, okay, we're calm. We're centered. Our first assigned task is him. And I'm telling you, it makes us stand in ways that few other things do. But, um, but at the same time, we've all got assigned tasks to do. And, and, and uh, so God's got something for you beyond just seeking his face. And uh, at work, raising kids, uh, creating and shaping, you know, giving of your time, giving of your money, giving of your, of your gifts. Some of you are ushers. Some of you are on worship team. Some of you serve in children's church. You know, some of you are intercessors. Some of you, your, your assigned task right now is part of serving in uh, Community Development Corporation. Uh, but you're all called, we're all called to full-time ministry. And, and you know what? We're called to be courageous and truthful, and we've got assignments to do. Some of you are public school teachers. You know, some of you are in the business, and, and God's got an assigned task for you there in that place. And some of you are in, in the medical field, others in, in, in the legal field. Others of you are artists. You know, others of you are social workers, and others of you are students, and, 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 and you're in politics. Or some of you are in diff- difficult families going into Thanksgiving. But he's got an assignment for you wherever he's placed you for him. And one of the ways you keep watch and are aware is having a deep sense of he's assigned you. A life to live. That's why he's got you alive. He's got something for you. An assignment as his servant. And, and uh, so don't worry. You say, well, I know, but how does it fit into the big picture? How does it fit into all the shaking going on in the world? It seems so insignificant. You're asking me to love my, my crazy brother who I'm going to see on Thanksgiving? And the Lord says, absolutely. Don't you worry about all the shaking and the contractions going on around you. Uh, and those birth pangs, you be faithful. Now, I can't guarantee you the stock market is going to rebound. And that when you die, when you get ready to retire, you're going to have a hundred million dollars there set up in your retirement fund because the stock market is going to all come back. I cannot guarantee that to you, but I can guarantee you this. Jesus, the end is certain. Christ is returning. He's going to sit on the throne. He's going to, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything as we know, it's going to pass away. The heavens and the earth, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so what really matters in life is him. I was talking to a friend yesterday who's been unemployed for two years. And I was sharing this message with him. And he said, so he's had to get, you know, odd jobs just to keep himself afloat financially. And I said, you know, how has it been for you? You know, what's it been like for you in light of the end? And he says, you know, I know that God has meaningful work for me in all of eternity. 
And I may have lost my employment due to the great recession we find ourselves in. He goes, but this too shall pass. He goes, I'm still looking. I'm hunting around. He goes, but I no longer have anxiety. No, he goes, I struggle because when I get my eyes off Jesus, I go into panic, he said. But when I'm centered on Jesus, I'm just fine. Because I see it in the large picture of things, in the shaking that's going on. I thought it was just, it was just fabulous. It was fabulous. And so you may be disoriented tonight. Disoriented by what's going on in your life and saying, I don't know what's going on. The world does not seem to be ruled by God. Where is his power? Where is his kingdom? I cannot figure him out. And so it is true. You and I cannot wrap our arms around the massiveness of God. Can't do it. He's too big. But followers of Jesus, we stick with him and follow him whether we understand what he is doing or not. He's the alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the Lord God Almighty. That's it. That's our, our, his revelations. He, he's the one who holds history in its grip. And he says there, you become, you stay connected to me and you be doing your assigned task that I've got for you. And he goes, you let me take care of the rest of history because it's all going to end fabulous. The ending is going to be fabulous. You know, and I'll close this. A little parallel um, is, is I, I was reading a, a Yale historian and uh, a church historian. He was talking about uh, the parallel of today, perhaps, with the fall of the Roman Empire. Because the world is being shaken in, in whole new ways at our time in history. And how the, the Christians who, who stuck with Jesus, okay, who persevered through that time, he says, he goes, they didn't just provide a refuge in the midst of chaos. He goes, they provided the basis of a new order in society. They were living in the midst of an old culture that was disappearing, but they were also birthing a new one. And I thought it's very similar, I believe, what God's doing by the Spirit in our day. Something is ending, friends, in our world. It's just, something's passing. And there's something new God's birthing here. And there's something to which he's called us to provide not just a refuge for the chaos going on out there, but also a, a level and a quality of life. That's why I think some of the monastic thing elements of our church are so prophetic. Because we're, 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 there's something God's birthing that's new for the generations to come, I believe, you know, out of our life together. And, uh, and so what I'd like to do here as we close is, is the crucifixion of God in the flesh was the worst moment in history. This end of history Jesus describes here looks horrific. But do you understand the crucifixion unleashed the best moment of history? The salvation of the world. The worst time in history at the end is going to release the best, the most fabulous moment when Jesus returns and we see him face to face. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to, worship team, you come forward, and I want to invite you to, to wake up with me. Hopefully you're awake. And we're going to have two minutes of being still and waiting patiently before the Lord. It comes out of Psalm 37, verse 7. And I'd like us to, um, to basically get still before God, to be still. And I'm going to invite you just a moment or so to, to close your eyes. And, and the Bible speaks a lot about waiting on the Lord. Now, hopefully we wait on the Lord. We're, we're aware of his presence. We, our goal is to be doing it all the day, right? As we're at work and shopping and you know, cleaning our car out and taking the subway train. But we, we pause for these centering you know, prayer times of being still before him because they help us the rest of the day. So uh, I want you to you know, get comfortable and um, maybe just... Calm down and take a, take a deep breath, you know, you know, you know, breathe in and, you know, you know, breathe out. Just becoming aware of your body for a moment. You know, the fact that we're breathing is a, is a miracle, isn't it? 
You know, because the moment God stops your breath, it's over, friends. I mean, every breath we have is a gift from him. So here we are, we're all breathing in this world that God sustains by his word. And, um, and so what I want you to do is, is, is uh, as your mind, we're going to take two minutes and I'll be the timekeeper. Your mind, as we pause, and we're going to be silent before the Lord, is going to wander, right? You're going to start thinking about, oh, I'm hungry. You know, what am I going to eat later? Or, oh, I've got to call my mom. Or, you know what, I've got to do my laundry tonight before work. And all of a sudden, your mind starts going to your to-do list. You know, and, oh, i got to talk to somebody at the service over there. I say, I hope the food is hot when this is finished, you know. <laughs> I hope Pete hurries up because I'm hungry. The food's waiting back there, you know. But all that stuff goes through your mind. Now, every time your mind wanders, I want to invite you. Because uh, distractions just happen. I want you to just come back and say, oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah, we're, just, we're, we're, we're in his presence. We're, oh, Jesus. And we're just, we're just in letting him love us and we're loving him. We're, we're communing with him. We're not having a com- big conversation. We're, just, we're being with Jesus right now. We're awake and alive to his presence. And we're having a communion with him without words, basically. Um, it's a love relationship. So again, distractions are normal. And every time your mind wanders, you're going to catch yourself. Say, oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, yes. You know, I'm back, you know. And uh, it's fabulous. Okay, so uh, close your eyes uh, before him. And, and, uh, and let's begin to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him.